Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow and maybe even leave us a review while you're there. On today's episode, we are extremely excited to welcome Brad Mates of Emerson Drive. Now, this is a very exciting one for me because my son Emerson is actually named after the band, and I have loved Emerson Drive's music ever since becoming a country music fan. We had a great time talking to Brad about his musical beginnings, jumping up on stage during the 11th grade talent show, and how that snowballed into a career in country music. He talks about the beginning when the band started to tour Canada and then heading to the States and getting a record deal. And then really when they got into their family life, how they were able to maintain family, a career and doing what they loved all the way along. So please enjoy our conversation with Brad Mates of Emerson Drive. I have to maybe make you a little uncomfortable off the start here and fanboy a little bit. Um, I don't know if you got the <laughs> message that I sent when I set up this interview, but I have been a huge Emerson Drive fan for as long as I can remember. And my son, Emerson, is actually named after the band because of how big of a fan I am. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so he was, he is seven years old and he was super pumped today to know that I was getting the chance to interview Emerson Drive. His favorite song right now, every time we get in the car, we have yeah. to listen to Wake Me Up. And I know it's not <laughs> technically your song, but you and Tebe, and uh, that is his favorite song right now. And any chance he gets, he asked for Emerson Drive's new song, if we can listen to it. So hilarious. That's great. <laughs> so I very much appreciate you taking the time. And I want to talk about the band, but I also just want to talk about your personal journey through music and over the years, how it's inspired you and the people, places, events that have brought you to where you are today. Like, let's go way back to when you were a kid. And I believe your dad was a musician who sort of inspired the guitar playing off the start. Now, when did that begin? Well, I'll say this, like my parents were not the type of people to push my sister or I into music. So we dabbled, right, for probably the, the first handful of years that you could, you know, take band up, right? So right, yeah. in school, I mean, I, I, played, I played the saxophone, the trumpet, um, I got cut from our singing choir. Oh, really? uh, my best friend made it, but I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was just interesting because, um, and we also played piano, right. But my parents were never the type of people to say, listen, you have to do it. Right. I mean, if we didn't show interest, um, or if it just some, it wasn't something we were passionate about, then th they weren't going to be those people to just say, you have to do it. So, right part of me is thankful you know that they were they were kind of built that way um the other side i wish that i would have been pushed a little bit harder because i think i could have been a, a you know a multi-instrument playing person at my, my right. <laughs> um and you know so there's that side of it but at the end of the day um music definitely was a, a, a big part of our family growing up um my dad played in a band called the swinging doors for quite a few years and they were you know, they were the, the local attraction where they do, you know, weddings, they do the Legion. Uh, sometimes they do divorce parties from the people that got married. And it's just like <laughs> whatever, whatever you could pick up for gigs on the weekend. But they were busy. Like I remember as a, a young kid, um, I got hauled around to a couple different venues where they were playing. And uh, that's kind of where I was introduced to my dad not being in HVAC all week long running a business it was him playing a guitar and singing in front of people on the weekend so it was pretty interesting and and i say that right now and for some reason i'm just thinking oh my god here i am you know how many years later my kids are probably thinking the exact same thing about me so right um it's it's really cool that 
there's, you know, my, my folks and everyone in the peace country area, um, the support that was there in the very beginning was just over the top. Right. So that has never changed and, and was a huge factor in us having, uh, you know, just kind of someone in your corner to, to keep things moving along in those first handful of years. Right. And so at 15, I believe it was, was the first time you got in front of an audience for the 11th grade singing competition. I think maybe it was now I saw a different few different accounts of this. Now, did you go up solo for that performance or did your friends convince you to form a little bit of a band for that performance? Yeah, it was a solo thing first, right? I did a duet with a, with a girl, uh, it wasn't even a girlfriend. It was a girl that was wanted to be a singer as well. And she heard that I kind of sang. So we did a, a duet together. And then um, I did a couple Travis Tritt songs on my own. Um, and then that's where basically Emerson drive formed from, from that, from that spot, like a, a few other people that I went to school with, not necessarily really close with, but uh, knew them going to school um and knew they were musicians uh, i forget who was the first person that said hey listen we need to get together and go like jam in one of our parents garages right right and honestly that's that's exactly how it happened we there was like i think there was nine of us to begin with that just showed up one <laughs> night and <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing as a as a group obviously but and, and then you know one guy came along he was a twin uh he, he there wasn't an instrument that he could play so he decided to pick up the harmonica right so i mean right. those are like very very beginnings of like what it was going to be but it it soon took on like a whole new a whole new beast like we once we got like our first song kind of under our belts as a, as a group um you just wanted more right, right. like it, it, all of a sudden that spark was just inside of everybody. Like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Yep. <laughs> and we need to keep doing this. Um, little did we know, like it was just going in building school kind of farewell. And we bought a little PA system in Grand Prairie for like, we pooled our money together with $600 and bought like two speakers on sticks and the soundboard, but we thought it was the biggest rig in the world. Right. And, uh, and then started, like missing some school at the very end of the year. Our, our principal was amazing. She's like, so you guys want to take Friday off to go to Fairview to go play a bar? And we're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's where I mean, like the, the support from back home, it didn't matter what area it was. If it was your parents, your friends, your, your teachers at school, um, it just seemed like everyone wanted to be a part of this thing. Right. But right. no one ever knew what it was ever going to turn into. It was just kind of cool. So, Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like at 15, when you play that first talent contest and then you guys start jamming and then all of a sudden you're playing shows like before that or even during that time, did you want to be a musician? Was that ever a goal for you within your career was being a no. full-time musician? No, and I'll be the first one to say that uh, all the people that know Emerson Drive and know me through the industry after all these years, I'll be the first one to say that I never, ever should have been singing on stage as a career 24 years later. Like uh, I had enough credits for my third year carpentry. And I remember still talking to um, one of the journeymen that I was that I was working for. And he's just like, I don't know about this band thing, Brad. He says, you've got a lot of hours, you know, journeyman hours underneath your belt. Like you could really turn this into a career. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I kind of like this band thing. It's fun, right? <laughs> I look back now and it's, uh, I don't know. Like, again, you just, no clue what's going to happen. And I think that's the best part still today is, music can take you in so many different directions and uh every step of our journey over the last couple of decades has just been you know just another eye-opener because maybe it wasn't supposed to happen but we had the right group of guys we worked harder than anybody else in the first you know 12 years and, and things just came together right right and i saw something about your first paying gig it was a high school awards night, I think. And I think I saw you made like 300 bucks by passing a boot around. Was that your sort of first paying professional gig? 
Yes. Yeah. It was a first paying gig. And, and, and then when you knew that you could make money doing it and back then like 300 bucks that paid off half our sound system that we scraped together, right. For between six of us. So it was like, Oh my God, we can make money doing this. And uh, um, yeah. And then, you know, once we started like trying to write our own music and, and a couple songs got played on, on the local station, Grand Prairie, I still remember getting my first SoCan check, right? And I think it was for like $6.30 or something. Oh, nice. <laughs> I never cashed it. I, I kept it in the drawer at my folks' place. I don't know if my mother still has it in the Tupperware bin somewhere. I would imagine that it is. But, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the, the, beginning, the beginning years are still the best, right? Yeah. And we talk about this still today. Like we were just out on the weekend and um, this you always find that you come back to the original stories that everyone relates to and laughs about. And, uh, those are the things that never get taken away. Um, that's, those are the things that make a band, uh, unique is that a lot of times those inner stories, um, are such a big piece of, of, of the success. And lots of times, a lot of people just have no idea about them. Right. But you internally. So, um a really smart manager um that we had for many years always said the only way to break this group apart is from within and that's been the secret to our success through the years is just honestly being super close with one another uh respecting each other's opinions uh and just carrying on year after year Right. And now the lineup has changed over time, over those first few years. And I wanted to talk about Danik and when he joined the band, like he was basically Mr. Musician. He had been doing this basically his whole life. He had played in a band with his parents. And when he joined you, he was coming off a stint with another successful Canadian band. So what was that like when he joined and bringing his musicality into the band? Yeah, he was, I mean... He definitely was that that uh, that pivot moment where it's just like, okay, this guy's really good. He knows what he's talking about, and we're going from Grand Prairie now, broadening you know broadening out right. And it was just it was like, okay, the, now we know what potentially growth looks like and getting better looks like, right? When you have someone from the outside come in, um, that's the one thing that we knew we had to do from the start was branch out from the Peace Country area because. You got to remember when we were 17, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, like those first four or five years, we didn't really have any competition that was our age, right? Right. We were the young guys that didn't care what anybody said. We just wanted to play music. Um, the Jonah Brothers, Poverty Plainsman. Um, God, I'm trying to think of uh, Curtis Gramble. Um, there's, a, there's so many uh acts that we watched as you know 16 17 18 year old kids these guys were in the bar system already um casey jones another great one that was in our area um that basically were were people that we looked up to as musicians and thought we could do this someday too right right um so to get back to 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 danik he i mean he kind of really made you know the point and the effort to say if we're going to, you know, do this, then we got to get really good. And, um, that changed, that changed everything from that point forward, because that's when we basically started traveling across Canada. And then within the first year, um, we had an agent that said, you guys should play in the U S. So we started, you know, playing bars and clubs basically right across North America, 200 and, 60 days 80 days out of the year like it was just those days are long gone like you can't do that anymore as a group or as an artist because there's no such thing as six or seven nighters in clubs every single week but i'll tell you what to cut your teeth in this business to learn who you are as an individual uh to miss your family your friends um, and be out in some of the worst bar rooms and hotels you could ever think of I know it sounds cliche, but it's the old character building, you know, chat that you get from your dad at some point in your life. It, it seriously was, um, it was the stuff that was going to eventually make us, uh, not better. Um, it was going to make us more prepared when we potentially were going to get a record deal. 
And even though it took, you know, a handful of years to get to that point, man, when we signed our first deal, the guys at DreamWorks in Nashville just couldn't believe that we were so self-contained, meaning that we could take care of absolutely everything and nobody would have to teach us how to do something. Right. Right. That was the, that was just incredible to look back on. It was like, okay, uh, let's record some music and the single gets out there and they're like, can, well, of course you guys can tour. You've been doing it on the road for so many years. So we just, we just left Nashville. And then we started doing a, a huge radio tour across uh, the U S and, and back home in Canada. And, uh, and 23 years later, here we are. And how did Nashville ever become a thought in your mind? Like back then, were there any artists making that move from Canada down to Nashville? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, Shania obviously had kicked the door down. Right. Um, Paul was already in. Right. So we kind of had Carolyn had actually made a, a pretty good splash. So there was a few people that kind of had the door kind of cracked for us, right? Uh, but there wasn't a band, right? There wasn't a band that had been able to do it. So everyone had, I mean, Shania is obviously a, a different story. Everyone else seemed to have a good start in the U.S. And then within the first two, three singles, um, you know, kind of tapered off. Right. Yeah. And when, when we, when we kind of came into the picture down South, um, I don't know if it was maybe, okay, it's another Canadian, another Canadian act coming through here. And we, if it's Paul or Carolyn or, or um, Aaron Lyons is another one, right. That had some success. If they can do it, why can't a band do it? Right. So the, the record label was just full on when we got when we got to town and was just like we're going to do everything we can to make this as big as possible and um yeah those first couple of years were ugh. as a 21 22 year old well that's what i was best. gonna yeah that's what i was gonna ask you coming from canada and all of a sudden you're in the in the states blowing up with a record deal i mean for you personally how did you handle that i <laughs> we were so busy right uh right. that a lot of it just flew by so fast in the, in the first year. Um, I think Faith Hill was, was one artist that said this years ago, she's like, you get your record deal. And then all of a sudden the first year is gone and you don't hardly remember anything because you were so busy. And that honestly was the case with us too. The first two years we were just insane. Um, I think we were grounded enough as individuals um, in a band where obviously learning that we had each other to rely on through you know the ups and downs of the business was going to help us uh, in a big way so it wasn't until the second album you know where we knew that it was going to be a really big deal to keep things moving in the right direction um and you know after the first album having a couple top five hits um you know, just, it just helped things so much. And, and, you know, uh, the, the awards or the nominations started coming in and it was just a really, really cool time as a, as a young 20 something year old to, to just see the growth in the first handful of years. And now with expectations within this career, because you blew up so quickly, did you gain expectations that you didn't start with because you started and you just wanted to play music and you didn't expect anything. Then all of a sudden you're blowing up and you have this success. Were you able to keep an even keel and not think, look at the success we're having. This is how it's always going to be, but keep an even keel of this success is great, but no matter what happens, if we're playing music, we'll be happy. Yeah. I, I, I think the amount of shows that we were doing, um, we were seeing so many new fans every single week in different places. Um, it just felt new all the time. Like even after the first two years, it still felt new because we hadn't been to a small County fair in Ohio. Right. Right. Going back up to Ottawa to play, you know, a show that you hadn't been home to for a couple of years. Like it just seemed like, it seemed like you were always seeing new faces and things were still just, you know, chugging along um the work the work though i i'll always go back to that you, you know people always look at like 
situations and try and pick apart, well, how did this work? And, and why was this person better than the other at, at, at whatever it was in life? And our, for our situation, we just worked harder than everybody. That's all right. there was to it. Like there was no stopping. Um, if there was a date that had to be done across, you know, the country in three days, then it was, it was, you know, make the gig, do the show, gain more fans, more people, and just keep going. Right. So right. that really didn't slow down until, oh God, I, I would probably say 2012, maybe 13 is when we kind of reassessed, I guess, what, what we were doing. Um, and not to jump ahead too far, but just, you know, no, for sure. just the outlook on, on life and music, you know, all of a sudden became a, um, just a bigger conversation. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask, sort of the relevance within the music industry and feeling, feeling like you have relevance, but also having that balance of life and family. I mean, when that point hit, you could say, okay, we want to balance life and family, or you could say, you know what, let's keep hitting it hard because we want to continue to have as much relevance in this industry as we can. So was that a difficult decision or were you always focused on, I want to be here for my family and we'll do what we can beyond that? It happened all at once, to be honest with you. Like, um, like we went through some, <laughs> we went through some pretty good ups and downs in, in the industry for sure you know, just to tap on a few of them, like when we signed with DreamWorks, DreamWorks is obviously one of the, well, was a major label in Nashville, but we were one of the first acts on there with uh, Toby Keith, Daryl Worley, Jimmy Wayne. Uh, we had this amazing promotion team behind us. And, you know, if you, for the industry people, or yeah, there'd be a handful of people out there, you know, fr from this conversation we're having that would know like Scott Borchetta, right? So Scott Borchetta yeah. now runs the biggest independent label basically in the world. Well, Scott was basically the, you know, one of the first people to say, yep, these guys have it. And that oh, was okay. early in his career, right? So to look at the talent that we had, not only uh, with the band, I mean, you almost had the perfect storm of, of, you know, record label reps that were there working the music as well. Um, and then, you know, fast forward into the second album, we had heard rumors that DreamWorks was thinking about maybe shutting the doors and everyone's like, how could they ever do that? I mean, they were incredibly well-funded. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, just the higher ups felt like it just wasn't maybe turning the profit like they would normally get out of, you know, international uh, artists that they would have on the labels in LA or New York. Right. So right the Nashville branch really didn't, you know, give them what I, I think potentially what they thought they were going to get out of it. So, um, that's when things got really weird. I mean, sure enough, there, the, the rumors about the door shutting became true. And all of a sudden we had a pretty much a full record that was done and finished and, 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 and actually just, coming off of a Shania Twain world tour, not right. world tour for us, but North America tour. Yeah. I think we did a uh, 132 shows in, in, you know, a year and a half. And I mean, you couldn't ask for a better setup for new music and, and, and just a whole new fan base of three generations of people in the same building, you know, like that was a great thing about Shania's tour was you had the kids, you had the parents and then you had the grandparents and they all came and bought a ticket. Right. So, we were opening ourselves up to just a huge audience and all that stuff was kind of crashing down around us at that time. So it was, it was super frustrating, but what do you do? Right. It's totally out of our control. Um, yeah. That's when we kind of were on a, a year period where it's like, what do we do? Um, major labels were, were obviously interested in Emerson drive. Um, it was trying to figure out what was the best play for us going forward uh, to keep the momentum going and independent labels, you know, during that time started making a bit of a stab in the industry. And um, we got approached by uh, an independent and they had a good team of people around them. They had a, a really good money guy that um, a couple of money guys that were involved and were you know, ready to spend some cash because 
I mean, don't kid yourself. It takes not hundreds, but millions of dollars to, to function a record label and, and, uh, and to make it happen. So that's where the first single off of the third album, which was a good man came out and that was a top 20 song. And then moments came out and I'll never forget the handful of weeks leading up to number one, you know, all record reps talk about is is uh, top 20 top 10 top five and obviously number one right and watching that song go up the chart week after week um oh it's just because we had a number two with with falling to me and a number three with sleeping right so like getting that jump over top of the number two and number one spot was it was just so so cool i it, kind of a side story off that too, which is kind of neat. Um, Tracy Lawrence at the time uh, was on an independent label as well. And the week prior to moments going number one, Tracy had the number one song in the country uh, with find out who your friends are. And the next week we had the number one song in the country. So it was the first time on country radio that two independent labels were back to back with number one songs. Right. So oh, that wow. was kind of the start of, of some really great independent work that was going to be happening, you know, in the industry for, for, uh, you know, for quite a few years and still is today. But, um, yeah, so moments was taking off and then all of a sudden it's just like a whole new, it's just a whole new bar for Emerson drive at that point, because now you have the number one song in the country. Um, now what do you do? Right. It's like, now we need to follow this up. And, as soon as the moments was climbing the chart, the we had started hearing rumors again that the money guy was not 100% in. And it's like, are you got to be kidding me? We're, I mean, the song is going to do just amazing things for people because we kept hearing these stories of how the song was affecting people's lives and, and, and like for really, really, really great reasons. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, it was true. Like, uh, the the week i'm oversharing stuff here i don't think i've ever talked about this so this is really cool i love it yeah it's great <laughs> fantastic the the if i remember numbers correctly the week that moments was number one there was thirteen thousand cds thirteen thousand units available in the stores across the u.s oh, okay thirteen thousand is like if I, if you say that to people in the industry like it's a joke it's an absolute joke. So like there should have been, there should have been 1.5 million right. available. Right. And there wasn't, and the product was gone in, in, in like a week's time and there was no restock of, of albums. Oh, really? And that's, and now you're talking about, you know, 2008, seven, where, you know, the downloading of music is still going on. Yeah. Um, I'll hop back just a little bit, 2001, two, and three, the amount of, of blank CDs that we signed at concerts after we got done was insane. Really? People would walk up with a blank disc and we'd be like, what the hell is this? And they're like, oh, it's your album. We just burned it on LimeWire. I'm like, holy crap. Week after week, month after month, like it just got to the point where like what's happening in the industry, right? Right. We talked about this story last weekend. We we flew to LA and played for Napster because everyone thought that Napster was going to be the next biggest thing in the industry. And right. they kind of were, but they ruined a lot of things too, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now jump back to where moments is where physical product like CDs in the stores are still a really big deal for obviously uh, record companies because that's how they made the bulk of their money was off physical product. Right. Um, yeah, it just it, it got to a point where things got really bad with the with the with the the money guy. And um, long story short, we we basically ended up over the course of a year and a half sat in limbo. There was a breach in the contract. I'm not going to dig into it because it's boring for everybody to listen to. But we ended up buying we ended up buying the the rights to that album, okay. and uh, and then started releasing music. Uh, as fast as we could off that album. And majority of it was done um, back home, like in Canada. Yeah. And that's when, 
And now I'm jumping, you know, kind of where we were about the whole idea of like um, revisiting the idea of, of what the plan is and who you are. Right. So, yeah. so here we are in 2009. Um, God, there's so much that happened in those, in those couple of years. So um, our bass player, Patrick, you know, uh, committed suicide. Um, moments was number one song in the country just a handful of weeks prior. It's like, like, I don't know, the, the reflection period during that year was, ah, it's tough. Right. Yeah. I bet. And um, like, did we work too much? Like, was the band to blame for, you know, just stressful times? Was it something else we had no control over? I mean, those are all the things that are running through your head, right? I bet, yeah. And then to be with somebody for the amount of time that we were on the road on a bus and and to, you know, find out that, you know, that, that happened, it's just like, all right. So that, that next year was a huge reflection and it really was kind of a, you know, a TSN turning point in, in our career when it was like, all right, we know what we're, we know what we're, we're good at. It's playing music, making music. Um, the idea that we are going to chase after uh, a U.S. record deal at this point, sure, we'll give it a go, but we're not going to, uh, you know, put all of our ducks into one basket and, and just, that's what it's going to be. We knew that we, that we had a really, really great fan base across both countries. Yeah. Um, and we knew that if we were to play our cards, right. Um, that we could have a, a, a really lengthy career. Cause I guess if you looked at it from 2001 to nine, it's only eight years, nine years. Right. So was there more time in front of those first eight or nine years? And we felt that there was, so that's when we really focused on making sure, um, that we paid way more attention to our Canadian radio partners. Right. The first handful of years having U.S. deal, I mean, 99% of our work was in the U.S. We'd come, yeah. up, you know, we'd come back home for CCMAs, um, maybe a couple bigger shows like festivals, but that was kind of it, right? Um, so from 2009 on, it was basically just a revamp of like, this is what we need to do. This is the important piece of what potentially is going to give us longevity in our career. And um, it was the right move for sure. Um, that's when, you know, girlfriends, fiancés, wives started happening. Kids started coming into the picture. All of a sudden, the whole dynamic of being gone for 200 plus days a year, like for me and the people that know me, I grew up in Grand Prairie, right? Those are yeah. my roots. Those are my values still the same thing today like there's no way in hell that i'm going on the road over 200 days a year being away from watching my kids grow up because i got to see a little bit of that from other artists over on the road that were kind of going through that right and there wasn't too many that were that were um that had really great relationships <laughs> um right so i kind of got a glimpse of that at a young age and and knew that that you know wasn't i didn't want to go down that path um and now you know, for the last eight years, you know, the effort was really just to concentrate on, on, on being maybe a little bit more like picky choosy about what we do. Um, still important stuff that's going to make sure that we're relevant and still out there, but dedicating, you know, a big chunk of our time to, you know, to our families. Yeah. And I was going to ask, like, just when you sort of look at the different stages of your career that you were able to have your start at home in Canada and sort of build, or, build organically, and then you had that success in the States. And then right where the timing was perfect, you were able to focus on family and do the shows you wanted to do and release the music you wanted to release without feeling forced to do it because you were at the stage in your career where you could do that. And now for how many years you've been able to do what you love while still looking after your family. Like when you look at that timeline, it feels like everything just lined up perfectly all the way along the way. Yeah. I've all, you know, everyone in the band will say this, like timing is everything, right? Um, do you have to make some smart choices? Absolutely. There's no question about it. Do you say no to a lot of things that could have been opportunities? Yeah. 
I'd have to say that for sure as well. But I don't think I trade where I'm at right now, to be honest with you. Um, could you know if things could have blown up and we would have been like a an A-list act playing stadiums? I mean, would that have been awesome for sure? But yeah. at the end of the day, um, the balance of of life and career, I think, is the sweet spot. You know. Like if you're an A-lister and you're playing stadiums and, and, and arenas and touring all the time, it's just a whole nother lifestyle. And uh, a lot of the things, all these guys say the same, but, you know, there's a lot of really great people in the, in the country music industry. And, you know, we know a handful of people that have done extremely well, like that next level. And there's always that struggle of balancing who you are as a person, family, career. It always seems to be that way. So, I, I commend the people that are able to get to that point and do it successfully and, and, you know, stay clean through the whole thing as well. Yeah. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm, I'm quite content personally myself um, with the way things kind of shook out over the years. And did I, am I correct that you've had 22 top 10 singles in Canada? Is that the number? Do you know? Yeah, we it's we just were talking about that on the bus this past week, and I think it was twenty two or twenty three. But yeah, some somewhere right there. Can you even really compute that when you think about it and the success you've had over your your career? Like you say, maybe you're not an A list act, but like twenty two, twenty three, top ten singles, like that's a pretty huge feat. Yeah, uh, which kind of leads me to this, like. I remember in the first few years when, you know, we had a record deal, songs were pumping out, um, nominations, won some awards in the beginning, uh, middle of our career. It's like nominations, not winning awards for a lot of years, but nominated all, all the time. Right. I remember the, the one thing I know I would always tell the guys, cause you know, there was a couple of guys that, you know, were just like, they just felt like the industry was against us. Right. I'm just like, right. Yeah. Here's the difference. And I say this in, in the most respectful way to everybody else that, that we knew as musicians, you know, um, back home, especially in Canada. It's like, here's the difference, guys. You're on a tour bus right now. In the next eight hours, you're going to be crossing over into the U.S. And you're going to be playing shows for the next eight months in a different place every single night. I said, I can guarantee you that probably not one other person in our industry is going to be able to do that. And it was just one of those kind of like, oh yeah. Right. Like we do have something of award uh, nominations for ACM, CMA, CCMAs, all that stuff is super cool. Right. And it's great to win stuff, but I can't begin to tell you how many people I know that were in that position. Um, got nominated maybe won an award but there's no career after three or five years yeah right so what do you i guess at the end of the day what do you want for for us longevity again has always been a goal whatever longevity means to somebody and whatever you know that whatever comes with it if it's some hardware along the way well great but at the end of the day people still want to hear an Emerson drive show. And to me, that's the best part. Now it's almost 44 years old. I'm just like, <laughs> my kids last week were like, you're going on the road. I'm like, yeah, it's been two and a half years. And, <laughs> and it's, it's great because it's, um, it still feels new, right? Still feels good. Um, there's still that excitement to even get on an airplane where it's like, I'm, I'm going to a gig. Right. So right. that's the best part of this is, is over the years, nothing has changed. In, in that area where you're not excited to get out and do it still. And those two years of the pandemic, like I imagine those were the first times that you had actually slowed down. You had actually not been on the road for an extended period of time. You maybe didn't even think about music for an extended period of time. So was that a good thing for you or did you find yourself going a little crazy with it? Uh, for, for me, I think all the guys... I shouldn't say that. Danik, super happy. Mikey's raising his son right now, um, who just turned five. 
So he's like, this is the best thing in the world. I didn't have to leave the house. I got to raise my boy. Right. Um, the first year was, the first year was amazing. Like 2020 was amazing. And I know it was so crappy, but it was amazing as an individual that didn't have to get on a bus, take a flight. Uh, it's the first time in, in 21 years where it was like, I, I, I honestly have a whole summer to do whatever I want to do. Right. Yeah. And that's what we did as a family. I mean, we were, we got closer as a family, obviously in 2020 and 2021, um, just being able to do things more with our kids. They were probably at the right age too. Like my son's 12 now and my daughter's nine. So the last couple of years are such great ages to, to be around your kids because they're, they're just more active and more independent and you can do more things. So, um, and then 2021, yeah, a little bit of an itch, right? And yeah. it's like, are we doing shows or are we not? And it's like, well, maybe in the fall, but and then all of a sudden, no, we're not doing anything. Um, I felt so bad for, for a lot of artists. That's one thing I'll say about the pandemic is, thank God Emerson Drive had been around for 20 years. Right, yeah. If we had been, if we had just started our career, I can't even imagine as a band how the heck you'd, you'd, you'd do it. Like you couldn't and even if you had a couple hits underneath your belt and all of a sudden things came to a screeching halt how do you pick up from the momentum that you had after two two and a half years two years without you know some new music right like there's a lot of acts that had hit songs that were looking forward to going on the road and making money and playing music in front of people that never had a chance to do it so um we we just had enough of um a back end, I guess, built company wise, like where we were okay. Um, and I, I, I thought about it all the time, just about like our crew, uh, all the techs across, you know, the landscape that were basically shut down for two years. A lot of that's the problem right now is you can't, you can hardly find enough people to run a show anymore because a lot mm-hmm. of the, um, a lot of the guys, the band, the crew guys had to go find different jobs. And I'd say that 60% maybe came back, 40% are gone. They're doing something different, right? right? So it's the same old story in our industry where you cannot find, you cannot find people that want to work. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. And so you just played your first shows, right? Just like what, a week or two ago? Last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So how was it getting back on stage? So I planned a Thursday rehearsal, full band rehearsal, text, everything. We had everybody there. It's the best thing we ever did. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had like a, I figured like, yeah, hour and a half, two hours tops. We'll kind of blow through the set list and make sure all the rust is knocked off. Now we were there for like a solid five hours and uh, no, none of us had really played i didn't sing for over two years um oh, wow. you know, just around the house a little bit but like no shows no set list yeah i remember a handful of months ago like i was like okay i need to start i need to start getting my 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 vocals back in check here right like i need to start singing so yeah i remember getting in the car one day and going into town and i just started playing you know our our set list and there was like a couple songs where I, I didn't remember the second verse. I'm like, Oh <laughs> crap. Here we go. But you know what? I mean, all it took was a, a cut, like one listen through and, and everything came back. So Friday was our first show and it was that, it definitely was that nervous. Like I ju- you just want to make it through without any, like, you know, driving into the ditch. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and we did, we, we made it through without any, any hitches um saturday honestly was just like you were on autopilot again it was amazing um when i say autopilot that's a really good thing for me because i always have like a great nervous energy before i get on stage once you get on stage and things get going and that and that autopilot sets in then it's just like it's game on like you're good to go um right so it was really 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 awesome this past weekend and so your new single, Every Girl That Got Away. Now, over the last few years, aside from the pandemic, it's been single releases for you. And so going into these, how do you pick the song that you want to use? You're not, you know, you don't have 10 tracks to kind of pick and choose and, and decide which ones you want on a full album, but you're looking for one song that's going to really hit hard. So what's the process of choosing those these days? 
that process is, has changed. We've been very fortunate over the years where when we first got signed, record labels like, we want you guys to play on the records, right? For a lot of people, they don't even know that out there. Meaning you have studio musicians in Nashville that normally play most of everybody's records. Yeah. Every once in a while, you'll have a few bands and artists that want their core guys to be the players on the albums that people hear. Uh, we always had the opportunity to, to be the only people playing on our records, right? So it always kind of made it more authentic too. Like you never you would never lose that Emerson Drive sound because nobody else was playing on the records. Yeah. Um, and and fast forward uh, six years ago now, we we bought a uh, we bought a um, we bought a property in Nashville and basically gutted everything and and, and built a studio um, because we understood that through the years pre-production is a really big thing. Like it's very hard for a band not to have pre-production. Like you'll see the big, the big guys do it all the time in, in, in the rock world, right. Where they'll travel across over to Europe somewhere, rent house for three months and record an album. Right. Pre-production for bands has always been a huge thing and still is for us today. So we felt like if we invested in in a property that was going to be basically like a, a home base to be able to record music whenever we wanted to. Um, it was going to be something that again would give us another leg of longevity. So that's what we did. And, and it's been one of the best things I think uh, uh, that we've done for our career in the last, you know, five to six years is just give ourselves an opportunity to be um, creative and productive whenever we want, right? There's no time restraint on it. Um, you can just, if you like something great, you throw it in the, in, in, in the hopper. If you don't, then it goes in the garbage and you move on to the next thing. So right. we actually had a handful of songs over the last few years that we had been working on. And every girl that got away was a newer one that, uh, that we started at the beginning of the year and just slowly kind of pieced it together. And it just seemed to stick out from, you know, a handful of the other ones that we had. Um, maybe timing wise and sound wise, it was just a little bit different from, from the other songs that we had, uh, ready to go. So, um, it's a chess game, you know, I mean, everyone says your first song is the most important. So is the second and then the third. And it's like, they're all important at the end of the day. Um, but this is just, you know, I feel like it's still got the Emerson drive sound to it. Sure, does it sound a little bit different from some of the other stuff we've done? Yeah, and I think that's important too. We've always tried to recognize that. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to keep our fans our fans, right? Yeah. And um, that's the goal now going forward is just to make sure that we're still exposing ourselves, obviously, to new people. Uh, but we have a great fan base of, of, of people that are there for us. And um, we'll just obviously continue to do whatever we can to keep you know moving forward a little bit more down the road and is there any plans to get in the studio and record more of an ep or an album in the future or are you guys happy just with singles and making sure there's new music every once in a while for the fans yeah i i honestly think there's probably an ep of some kind in 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 the future i i think through the pandemic it got to the point where there wasn't a lot i mean people were creative no no question about it lots of people wrote you know songs every single day which was amazing um for for us i think that the time off maybe is going to be more or less of a hey we should we should maybe record another ep uh i don't know about a full length anymore right but definitely an ep might be in the cards um you know we're we're pretty realistic people when it comes to career uh, we understand that um, not many bands are able to continue to play uh, for over 20 years. Um, so I don't know if I'm poking at anything, but it's just we understand that this is not going to last forever. And it's just trying to be smart about what the next you know, few years of our future look like if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, it can last forever. It's funny because um, this week I've had an interview with you. And then also I was talking to uh, Jeff Hanna from Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and just about their career and their amazing career. So, I mean, you guys are, uh, you got some catching up to do with them, but I'm sure if you play your cards right, there's, you know, there's no reason that you can't be playing music like they are at their age. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, and, and I guess that's what I'm getting at is like the idea of, of is Emerson Drive at 50 years old going to be trying to compete on the radio? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the the Dirt Band, I mean, one of my favorite groups of all time, and I remember the cassette that was in my bedroom in the basement of my parents' place. 20 years of Dirt. Well, Emerson Drive's got 24 years now of, of Dirt now underneath their belt, and um, I love the fact that there's that you know guys like the Dirt Band are still out there plugging away because music at the end of the day is what they love and what they do. Um, there always comes a point in time in most artists' career. Now there's a hand, handful that seem to just <laughs> live on forever, but for most people, you just get to that point where the idea of of singles and radio play is just harder and harder to do. Right? There's no question about it because. There's going to be another young Emerson Drive coming up. And I can tell you right now that a young Emerson Drive like we were and where we're at now, we can't compete with that. There's no way. If I look at what we were probably to a lot of established acts back then, I can I can see that coming down the road too. There's there's just it's going to happen. So um I think these next couple of years are going to be probably the best that we've ever had. Uh, we've talked about it lots with each other and, um, our goal now is just to make sure that we go out every single show that we do this summer, um, and just have as much fun as we can because end of the day, um, I want to, I want to be able to remember as many good times as I can about this, um, and just have a great, great story. Why not? Right. Thank you once again so much for listening. And thank you to Brad for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out Emerson Drive's newest single, Every Girl That Got Away, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow and maybe even leave us a review if you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.